coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. And I now have a calcified granuloma in my liver. They think, my doctors now think, that that was actually probably my first sarcoid experience. Janet Makoviak is a world traveler. Now in her 60s, she's been dealing with Sark, it looks like, since she was a teenager. And so my army doctor was probably on rotation straight out of Vietnam, right? So he... (laughs) So so he was used to doing things, you know, treating men in the field. And here I am, a 16-year-old girl, right? (laughs) Right. Coming up, Janet shares the story of how Sark has taken her from an active, outgoing person to a cautious patient with a whole menu of doctors. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host... John Carlin. Hi, everybody. John here. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to remind you that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is excited to invite everybody to attend their virtual patient education summit the weekend of June 12th and 13th. This is a unique two-day experience. It's hosted on an interactive platform where people can connect and network with sarcoidosis patients and also care partners from all over the world and also hear from world-renowned sarcoidosis experts. Whether you're new to sarcoidosis or you have an advanced understanding of the disease, there will be something here for everyone. And so from now until May 21st, you got to hurry. Everyone who registers will save with the early bird rate of $60, so don't delay. Visit www.stopsarcoidosis.org to learn more and to register for this event. And there will also be a link to the event in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Well, hello and welcome. This is episode 36 of the Sark Fighter podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I do this podcast to offer my fellow Sark Fighters hope. And you may have noticed the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards, there in Alberta, Canada. Mark is also a Sark warrior, and you can hear his story, the story behind the lyrics, which are very haunting if you have sarcoidosis. Go back and listen to episode 12 and get caught up on what uh, what caused him to write that story. By the way, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark. So are you, whether you're a caregiver, whether you're a patient, whether you're a researcher, you're somewhere in our space, our sarcoidosis space, and uh, I'm sorry that you're here, but uh, I'm glad to have you along. Maybe together we can all come up with some solutions. This uh, This is really a place where we all gather, and so many people have told me that they don't know anybody else who has sarcoidosis, or they didn't until they got involved maybe with FSR uh, or started listening to the podcast. So I, I feel like we're providing a valuable service here. Uh, when And I say we because I refer to me as the host and everybody who's come on to tell their story, share their story, or talk about some of the sarcoidosis solutions. Uh, and we uh, normally release every other Monday uh, with the podcast, and so far we've been able to do that. Now, there has been a bonus episode And as I'm speaking today, it's still very new. It was back on May 3rd. I released this episode, and if you haven't listened, you might enjoy it. It was a town hall hosted by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research in which I was the moderator on the topic of prednisone. Yeah, prednisone. Now, you've heard me call it the devil's tic-tacs, right? 98% of all SARC patients have been on prednisone. It's the first thing that doctors always prescribe, and the side effects are just awful. And so we had Dr. Elliot Krauser, FSR's Scientific Advisory Board Chair, then Jessica Reed, an 18-year neurosarc survivor and patient, and Dr. Sanjay Shukla of ATAR Pharma, which is working on a new drug that shows a great deal of promise uh, in offering an alternative to prednisone. And again, we'll keep you up to date when there's something new to report on ATIRE's newest drug. But we all talked about everything that's going on with people with prednisone and how 
Yes, it works. It gets sarcoidosis under control. But if you take it for a long time, you can have devastating side effects. And those side effects can be as bad or I would submit worse than sarcoidosis itself. So go ahead, download that episode, listen to the panel, and you'll get a full and interesting take on how prednisone really affects you. And if you haven't thought about that yet, I think it will open your eyes. Also, if you're new to the disease, you're trying to figure out what you have and what's going on in your body, you Googled around, you found this podcast, you might want to consider, first of all, listening to my interview with Dr. Simon Hart way back in episode two. It's Sarcoidosis 101. He talks about all the different things that sarcoidosis is, how it uh, manifests itself in your body, what some of the dangers are, and and really we went over the the very basic aspects of how sarcoidosis messes with you. Um, so that's episode two. If you want to know more about me and my backstory, it's in episode one. Uh, if you want to hear the backstory as to how the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research came into being, listen to episode 11 with the founders of FSR, Andrea and Redding Wilson. And before we get into today's conversation with Janet, I do want to um, cover just a couple of things. As you know, uh, I've been talking about this a lot, and I've been training and keeping you up to date. I love Love, love to ride my bicycle. And I have been working up to attempting a 100-mile bike ride in one day, which is known as a century. It's sort of like the bicycle version of running a marathon. If you run a marathon, it's 26.2 miles running. Uh, so this is 100 miles riding. And I just wanted to let you know that I made it. Uh, we did an event, my wife and I and another couple called the Cap to Cap, in Richmond, Virginia. It's capital to capital where you ride from the capital of Virginia to Jamestown. Think way back to your history book and Jamestown, which was the capital way back in the like the 1600s uh, and back. And in total, it was 108 miles and we finished it. It was it was the last 30 miles were kind of difficult. My legs were cramping. I was tired. My body hurt. I wanted to stop, but uh, there was no way I was going to stop knowing that we it's an out-and-back course. So knowing that I just had to keep going, eventually I'd get back to Richmond in our hotel. And so every time I finish a bike ride, I, I look at sarcoidosis and I say, take that, sarcoidosis. But right now I'm shouting it, okay, because it wasn't just a daily ride. It wasn't a training ride. This was an event that I had really, really been working towards. And uh, I, I, I just had to share with you that uh, I feel like I punched sarcoidosis in the mouth with this thing. So there it is. And um, of course, now I feel like I have to do it again. But, you know, enough, enough of that. I'm just so happy to have it done. I really am. Now, today's guest has uh, also been staring down Sark for a long time. And like me, she is an active person. She takes interesting vacations all over the world. And I would love to go some of the places she's gone. Patagonia. Um, she's uh, followed gorillas in Africa. Uh, she's been to Iceland. And Patagonia and Iceland are two things that are, are really on my bucket list. But she, she, loves to, she loves to hike, bicycle, ski. Um, she lives in Taos, New Mexico, which is one of the ski capitals in the United States. They've got a, they've got a beautiful place there, and skiing is fantastic. And sarcoidosis is really messing with her ability to do all these things that that she loves and is able to do. I mean, not everybody, you know, has the lifestyle um, and the finances to do these things. She's been very fortunate in that uh, you know she's she's been able to go on these, except for sarcoidosis. And even with the skiing, you're going to hear talk about how she's had to uh, overcome difficulties just gripping her ski poles and breathing while she's skiing. So um, Janet Makoviak uh, contacted me after discovering the podcast. She is a fellow member also of the FSR Patient Advisory Council, and our mission on that council is to help bring the patient perspective, the patient voice to FSR so they receive input from the people they're trying to help. You know, they perceive that they're doing the right things, and by and large, I mean, they are. They are fantastic. But they've started the Patient Advisory Council so that, so that we can give input in a formal way back to them. And uh, Janet and I both um, serve on that council and very pleased to, uh, to have been asked to do that. Um, but her struggle, uh, she had a struggle being diagnosed. 
and she persisted and persisted. Does this sound familiar? Until she finally came up with the diagnosis of sarcoidosis. Uh, Her story is like many I've heard here on the Sark Fighter podcast, where doctors just couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And she found sarcoidosis on the internet. She she calls herself Dr. Google. Uh, I guess I guess doctors call patients who Google around Dr. Google. But she was convinced she had sarcoidosis. And even after that, she couldn't get a doctor to uh, to agree with her. And then uh, because she persisted and because of the testing that they did, because she pushed, they discovered that, yes, in fact, she did have sarcoidosis. And what did they do? They put her on prednisone, which helped. It helped her immediately. But now she's been on it for a long time, and she's beginning to have the serious complications. Once again, I refer you back to that early May bonus episode, So, uh, because she is, uh, is speaking that language. So please stay tuned. My interview with Janet is coming up. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the Sarcoidosis Solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. And joining me now is Janet Makoviak, and she is in New Mexico. Janet, welcome for uh, welcome to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing with this. Great. Thank you. Well, you know, a lot of SARC patients are, are reaching out. They say it really helps to, to hear other people's stories and sort of understand what other people are going through. It helps them navigate their own sarcoidosis situation. So uh, you are about my age. So let's just uh, say you're in your 60s. And, but you think you may have had sarcoidosis since you were in high school? I do. And my doctors think I have, but... Um... The records are fairly limited. I was um, growing, I grew up in Germany. My father worked for the US government. And so my medical care was at the US Army Hospital in Heidelberg, Germany. And when I was 16, I got really sick summer before my junior year. And they thought that I, they said I had mono, right? Every 16 year old gets mono, right? And, but I just wasn't getting better. And finally I was hospitalized and they said I had hepatitis and my uh, liver function was just totally crazy. But they also said I had, um, pot, um, or, I can't pronounce the word, but it's um, erythr- 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 whatever right. and the, um, on my legs. I had okay. these, um, I just had these huge lumps, painful lumps on my legs. And so my army doctor was probably on rotation straight out of Vietnam, right? So he, <laughs> so, so he was used to doing things, you know, treating men in the field. And here I am a 16 year old girl, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And, and looking, and I do have the records, my mother saved them. And I now have a calcified granuloma in my liver. They think, my doctors now think that that was actually probably my first sarcoid experience. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that so, crazy? <laughs> holy cow. So, uh, so that was the beginning. And then as you got a little bit older, you started having more and more problems to the point where you now have all, all sorts of doctors and all and sarcoidosis and all sorts of places. What was the next time that you realized something was wrong? You know, really just over the years, I just always had strange things happen and nobody could ever tell me what was wrong. And, you know, I just chalked it up to whatever. And, you know, I'm not one to really go to the doctor. I'm active. I live an active lifestyle. You know, I don't, didn't even take Advil or Tylenol much before uh, my recent diagnosis. So, but I just had all this weird thing, all these weird things happen. But in 2009, I passed out twice 
um, with no real explanation. And once I was behind the wheel of my car oh. and I was, I was alone and I felt the world turning upside down and I had recently passed out going down some stairs. So I kind of recognized the feeling. So I was able to get my car off the road. And um, when I came back to, I kind of gathered myself together. I had my dogs with me. I was out in the middle of uh, West Texas, just West of um, Amarillo. And <laughs> it was crazy. So I then um, turned around and drove back to Amarillo and I went to the emergency room. And it was flu season and um, I walked into the ER and it was filled with all these people. And I was like, I don't wanna be here. So I left and I went across the street to an urgent care place and they did all this, the, all this testing. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. So, you know, like so many of us, I went through this whole um, rigmarole of going to my regular doctors uh, in Dallas and um, they just, you know, they never found anything wrong with me. I wore a heart monitor. They did all these scans, MRIs. They didn't find anything wrong. So the conclusion was that I had um, low blood pressure and that I wasn't retaining water and I needed to eat salt, use salt in my food um, so I would retain water. So, you know, that kind of went on from um, 2009. That was kind of the last medical um, adventure that I had until uh -huh. 2018. Huh. Okay. So no more, no more passing out after 2009 and you just putting salt on your food and thinking, okay, <laughs> that was a pretty easy solution. Exactly. Uh, and, and then, and then all of a sudden in 2018, it wasn't. Yeah. So, um, I was in March of 2018. I, I, I love to hike. I love to ski. Um, I ride my bike. I'm just always lived a very active outdoors lifestyle. And I was hiking with some friends um, down in the Rio Grande Gorge. And this is a hike where your worst part is um, the coming back up instead of the going down. Okay. And on the way back up, I could not keep up with my friends. And normally I would be the leader of the pack and um, you know, I just, I could not keep up. I was so short of breath. I just felt like I didn't know what was happening. And I was wearing my Apple watch and Apple watch was new to me at that time. And my heart rate showed, um, you know, like, I don't know, 189. It was, it was just crazy. Um, very high. And when, when I got home, I just felt terrible. And I talked to a girlfriend who's a nurse and she said, you need to go see a doctor. She said, that's just not normal. Yeah. So I figured, okay, it's, it's my Apple watch. <laughs> yeah. You thought the watch was wrong. <laughs> so, uh. so I gave, I gave someone else my Apple watch and I bought a new one. <laughs> no way. You really, <laughs> Okay. Well, that's a good way to cure sarcoidosis. <laughs> I was sure that there wasn't anything wrong with me, that my heart rate couldn't possibly be that high. So I bought a new Apple watch. Well, guess what? Still had the same problem. So a couple of weeks later, I did finally go to the doctor because I was continuing to have these silly high heart rates and feeling short of breath. And um, so I had a complete workup at that time. And they couldn't find anything wrong. Primary care doctor couldn't find anything wrong. You know, it was like the same story as 2009 all over again. And so. How um, frustrated it, are you at this point? At that point, I'm like, all I was really worried about is we had at that point in the year, we had a trip planned to Iceland for August and a hiking trip for two weeks in Patagonia on the, uh -huh. on the, um, on the horizon. And I, all, all I was thinking about was, well, whatever's wrong, we need to just fix it so I can go on these trips. So, <laughs> so um, they referred me to a cardiologist and the cardiologist did all the tests, you know, all the things they do. And um, there was nothing. And they, you know, I did the exercise stress test and I, I far exceeded, you know, what they expected for a woman in her sixties. And, um, you know, so I'm pretty competitive. So, you know, I was pleased that I beat the, uh, 
I know you know that because yeah. I, I hear your story. I did the same thing. They're like, you're not sick. <laughs> so, but meanwhile, I just knew there was something wrong with me. And, you know, I think the doctors were just quick, wanted to, you know, just make me go away. Um, and I wasn't going away because I really wanted, I wanted to go on these trips, but I didn't want to do something stupid. Right. And I, and I just knew that there were, there was something wrong. So um, I went through this whole cardiac workup, continued, and um, they did a CT scan in August. So the whole thing started in March, okay? Mm -hmm. So in August, they do a CT scan, and it shows a calcified granuloma in one of my lungs, and it shows um, enlarged lymph nodes, mediastinal lymph nodes. And um, they just, you know, nobody really... Oh, and I also wore a 30 day heart monitor then. And it, all it showed was sinus tachycardia. So, um, you know, they basically said, your heart looks fine, go to Iceland, you know, you, you go, go enjoy yourself. And so we went and hiked in Iceland and, you know, it was awesome. And at that point though, I told my, when I, I started studying, you know, I'm like on Dr. Google, uh -huh. um, and I decide I have sarcoidosis. <laughs> you decided that. I decided I had sarcoidosis. And I told my primary care physician that I really thought that was in the differential and we really need to look at it. And she really just dismissed me and said that I needed to get off of Dr. Google. And I said, well, I understand how you feel about that, but I am looking at sites like the NIH, I'm looking at the Cleveland Clinic. I am looking at what I feel are um, well-documented scientific things. I'm not just, you know, looking on, uh, I don't know, some, you know, patient thing where patients are just talking about their own self-diagnoses or whatever. So I felt pretty certain that I was doing a pretty high level of, of research. And anyway, they were, they dismissed me. And so my primary care physician, she continued, she told me, she said, I think you have costrochondritis, which is inflammation of the, um, of the muscle around your heart okay. and your, in your chest. And um, she said, take Advil and see if the chest pain goes away. Because in addition to the shortness of breath, I've had the, like this just chest pain this whole time. Okay. And so... Um, so I took the Advil as she suggested for like two weeks and it did nothing. And so then she said, well, okay. So the next thing we want to check is that you don't have gas um, acid reflux that's causing your pain. So she prescribed some antacid prescription antacid sort of thing. And all that did was give me a stomach ache. <laughs> and so, so this I, is, this is a doctor in Dallas. Yes. Uh -huh. okay. Yep. At, yes. And so, so I just kept pushing them, you know, cause I had this two week hiking trip coming up in November to Patagonia mm -hmm. and I was, and I just didn't feel good. And I was just really worried about my ability to complete this trip. And I just felt like they were being dismissive. So at that point, then she's starting mm -hmm. to listen to me and she orders a pulmonary function test. And my pulmonary function test was, and sort of borderline, not terrible, but not, not normal, but you know, they, you know, anyway, they didn't know what it was. And then they also did um, a high resolution CAT scan on my lungs. The last CAT scan had been on my heart. And so at that point, the um, lungs are, were not fully visible. So this time they did my um, lungs and they found numerous um, enlarged lymph nodes, mediastinal lymph nodes, peri paratracheal, tracheal, lymph nodes enlarged and granulomas in both of my lungs, ground glass opacity in my lungs. And so, so then my primary care physician is starting to believe that there really is, <clears throat> excuse me, something wrong with my lungs. And she um, tries to get me into the pulmonology um, clinic at, in Dallas. And the guy who like screens everybody 
he didn't think that my CT scan nor my um, PFTs were bad enough. My pulmonary function test was bad enough for me to be a priority to get in to see one of their um, specialists. So we had to sort of push some buttons and pull some strings and get me in quickly because you know we're we're in September now and I've got this trip coming up in November. Uh, that is a bucket list trip. <laughs> I'm so envious. Both Iceland and Patagonia are, are on my bucket list. So anyway, so yeah. all right. So now you're pulling strings <laughs> and you get there and then what? So I finally get in to see this incredible pulmonologist who is actually now my primary care physician. Um, she left the big hospital system and is off on her own. And she's just a rock star in my books. And <clears throat> so she um, goes through my medical record, goes through everything. And she immediately wants me to get in and have a bronchoscopy um, to look for sarcoid because she thinks I've got sarcoid too. I told her I thought I had sarcoid and she, she really, she's, you know, had seen sarcoid patients both in Dallas and at Johns Hopkins. And she was pretty convinced that's where I was. So um, I get in with this, I get in, I have this bronchoscopy and sure enough, uh, diagnosis of sarcoidosis came back, but I just felt like it was such a battle to get uh -huh. there. And that if I had not pushed these doctors, starting with the cardiologist and then my primary care physician to get me in to a pulmonologist, I just, I don't, I don't know if I would have been diagnosed yet. Right, right. And that's, you know, I've heard that story with almost every patient that I've had here on the, on the Sark Fighter podcast, people, and you've listened to it, you've heard other people yeah. say, but you know, sarcoidosis is just not what doctors are looking for. Right. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like a diagnosis of last resort, <laughs> right? Yes. So, so anyway, so now you we're all hanging. Did you get to go to Patagonia? Absolutely. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I started on prednisone before I went. And so the prednisone immediately, you know, like we all know, it's like, woohoo, I'm feeling pretty good. Right. Right. <laughs> Little did I know two and a half years later, I'd still be on it and I'm not so happy with it. And yeah. 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 How many milligrams did they start you on? She started me on 10. Um, oh, okay. Well, that's not too bad. No. And she's not a fan of prednisone, uh, which I now understand why she was reluctant. Yeah. Um, and, but that, that 10 milligrams really made the difference for me. And the other thing in Patagonia is you're actually at fairly low altitude because you, the mountains start at sea level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's where it's in the American West, you know, like I live at 7,000 feet. So it's anyway, so it was, you know, it felt relatively easy hiking there. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Then yeah. yeah. Cause you're in Taos, right? Right. And yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> all right. So, so you're, you're on 10 milligrams, you got your trip in, you're feeling better, but that didn't solve your problems because uh, you're still on prednisone and you're now uh, going to a whole new medical system yes. and you have a, a laundry list of doctors. So how did we get to what, what was next in your story? So interestingly, my husband works for a large company and uh, one of the company benefits, employee benefits is this service called Best Doctors. And they provide a free, well, free to the patient employee, <laughs> this evaluation, um, a, a second opinion. And so I just, my husband and I decided that we needed to um, pursue the second opinion. Um, and so I submitted all my medical records to them and, and, and they even got the slides of my, um, of my bronchoscopy um, where where they were able to diagnose the sarcoid and um, went through this whole thing with them. And they came back and said that they didn't feel that my doctors in Dallas were being aggressive enough and that I needed to be on 40 milligrams of prednisone. And <laughs> so I think that was, I don't know, maybe th two, two months later, because I really uh -huh. wasn't, you know, after the initial boost, uh -huh. of the 10 milligrams, I wasn't feeling any better. So 
Um, then I went on the 40 milligrams of prednisone. And at this time, I also got an MRI of my heart to see if I had any um, uh, scarring in my heart from the sarcoid. And that showed nothing. So, you know, the cardiologist said, you're great, move on, you know, nothing wrong with your heart. So, um, and then in the coming months, I started to have terrible hand pain. I couldn't hold my ski poles. And I know that sounds like such a silly thing. But right. First me, world problems, right? Exactly. That's like so silly. But for me, it was really a big deal. And so I, um, I, it was really upsetting. And I also couldn't hold the steering wheel in my car for an extended period of time. You know, anything that required a grip, I just had a hard time with. So I got referred to a rheumatologist and um, they couldn't find anything rheumatological wrong with my hands and um, nothing, you know, really um, physical wrong with my hands. So they wanted me to see a neurologist and I couldn't get in with a neurologist in the medical system I was in. And um, it was like a four month wait. And they also didn't have a neurologist who was knowledgeable about um, sarcoid. There was no not neurologist in the system with sarcoid. That, that was right. Dallas. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. And so at this point, my rheumatologist and my pulmonologist who were both amazing and pretty much I had pushed my primary care physician out of the picture at this point. And I was just dealing with these two amazing young women, um, the rheumatologist and pulmonologist. They, they told me that they thought that my case was getting a little complicated. You know, it wasn't just pulmonary, um, you know, they, and they were, you know, thinking there was something neurological going on. Um, so they recommended that I either seek out the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, or National Jewish. And so it just happened, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research was having a, um, one of their last live conferences, I think, was in May or July of 2019 in Denver, and all the docs were from National Jewish. And so I attended that conference. And... I was just so impressed with all of the doctors that like three weeks later, I did all my paperwork and um, self-referred into National Jewish. And it took several months for to get in, but um, I finally was seen there in November of 2019. I guess I could have gone a little earlier, but I had a trip to Africa planned for a month. Ah, <laughs> where'd, you go, where'd you go in Africa? Um, we went to South Africa, uh -huh. um, Tanzania, Kenya, and Rwanda. Wow. We went okay. gorilla, we went gorilla tracking in Rwanda. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole nother podcast. I, I'll have to start a new podcast. When we just talk about gorilla tracking. I went to South Africa uh, a couple of years ago and just did the safari thing. And that was just amazing. But yeah. anyway, okay. So yeah. I didn't get to track any gorillas though. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, <clears throat> At that point, I'm on prednisone and Plaquenil, and the Plaquenil is really helping my hand pain. And um, I think at that point, I'm back down to maybe 10, 15 milligrams of prednisone. Okay. And, so and, they're giving you Plaquenil because they did they discover that you had neurosarc? Or, I mean, what, what's the Plaquenil targeting? That was targeting my hand pain. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's used in arthritis as well as, you know, it's used for many different things. Yeah, a lot of SARC patients take that. Yeah. And, okay. and it was, it was really helping my hand pain. And so that was good. So then um, November, 2019, I got seen at national Jewish and they do a PET scan and discover that I have um, SARC in my heart and oh. Um, less than a year after I was told in Dallas that my heart was clear, but that was because they only did an MRI and the MRI shows scarring. It doesn't show active inflammation and the PET scan is the only thing that shows active inflammation, but likely the inflammation had been, had been there all along. Huh? Okay. So, so now you've got it in your heart and what, so, so what happens next? So then the next thing is I go in for a heart catheterization 
and they're, um, they go up through into both sides of the heart and they're looking for um, um, blockages or um, can they force these, um, can they force an arrhythmia? Um, and they're also looking for, um, um, oh, I can't think what the last thing is, but okay. when I went in, I was told I would either come out with a, an ICD, which is a defibrillator, a pacemaker, or a, an implant, or they will have done an ablation, ablation. And the implant is a heart monitor. Well, after quite a bit of time in there with an electrophysiologist who is just amazing, um, he wasn't able to induce any arrhythmias. And so he implanted a heart monitor that I now have where I'm constantly being monitored by someone at National Jewish um, looking for heart arrhythmias. But all that I seem to have is sinus tachycardia, which means my, um, my heart races and it goes really fast, but it's always in rhythm. Hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's a good thing? Yeah, it is a good thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, so now, so sarcoidosis is, is spreading through your body. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. And, and slowly. Uh, yeah. All right. Slowly. Okay. Yeah. So then I'm seen by a neurologist at national Jewish as well. And they test, um, you know, they do the large fiber testing of your um, nerves and my large fiber nerves were fine, but um, they did biopsies all down my legs. And I have sm what's called small fiber neuropathy, which is um, the um, sarcoid is in the small fibers. Um, and so it causes pain, but it's not, um, oh, I don't know what the right word is. It's just constant pain. It's pain. Not it's, tingling, not it's pain. It's, it's everything. It's pain. Yeah. It's numbness. It's, um, you know, my hands continue to be a problem, but I'm lucky because my feet had not really been affected until recently. Mm, so it's getting worse still. Yes. Now it's my left leg and my um, left foot are, um, have no, have very little feeling left. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. You don't have anything on your spinal cord that you're aware of? Well, interestingly, I was just, just got back from National Jewish. And the good news is my um, a cardiac sarc, we did another PET scan. And after all this treatment, my cardiac sarc is much better. And um, my left ventricle is almost clear. The uh, septal wall still has a lot of um, inflammation, but it's getting better. But um, there, they did um, MRIs on my spine and there are lesions on my spine, but um, they're not SARC, they're not lighting up. So um, we're still investigating what's going on. So that's a work in progress, shall we say. Yeah. Well, could those lesions be the reason you don't have any feeling in your feet? They don't think so. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that, that's my problem. So um, that's why I, I don't have any any knowledge other than what's going on with me. Uh, and people have heard my story, but I, I can barely feel my feet good, good part of the time. But that's because I do have a big, big sarcoidosis lesion right, right at the back of my neck. So I was just wondering. So, um, but this is, um, and we're talking with Janet uh, Makoviak, who lives in Taos, New Mexico. Um, and so Janet, so now... If we were to list the places in your body where you know you have SARC, it's your lungs, it is or was your heart, you've got uh, something going on with the small fiber neuropathy in your legs. Is it any place else? Um, in my eyes, I, I don't have the normal, the uveitis that they um, attribute, you know, that they say is SARC, but I do have um, um, dry eyes and um, the um, glands in my eyes are not working properly. And so my eyes are inflamed and red all the time and they hurt. So, um, you know, but it, when you look at the symptoms of small fiber neuropathy, that is one of the symptoms of small fiber neuropathy. Wow. So what, so what are the doctors doing for you and, and what kind of doctors are you now seeing? Well, I call them my ologists. <laughs> okay, urologists, right? Yeah, neurologist. And 
Right. So, so what's the list? I have a pulmonologist. I have a cardiologist. I have an electrophysiologist. I have a rheumatologist. I see a speech therapist um, to help me with my breathing. Um, I see a gastroenterologist. I see an ophthalmologist and a dermatologist. Those are my ologists at the moment. Wow. Now, dermatologist. So do you have it on your skin? I have um, little lesions on my skin, um, but they're not bad. And so it's just, I'm just, I just, they watch them every three months. Are they by and, your ankles by any chance? Where are no, they? no. Uh-uh. Okay. That's yeah. that's just where I've heard that that shows up. And, and that was something that happened to me that I disregarded for a long time. I have no idea if it's related to sarcoidosis, but um, quite, quite possibly was so. Um, but so you're seeing the dermatologist and what medicines are you taking right now? Okay. So I'm um, on prednisone still, and um, I'm um, went through all of the, uh, you know, different, I did methotrexate, both oral and injections. Um, I did azathioprine. I'm still on azathioprine, but I'm um, on a reduced dosage. I get Remic, well, I was getting Remicade infusions. Now I'm doing Inflectra because my insurance wouldn't pay for Remicade, but they're ba both basically the same um, uh, biosimilar. They're the same, they're the okay. same thing, just under a different label. Okay. And um, then I'm on Corlinor, which is uh, regulates my heart rate uh, because, you know, as I said earlier, I have sinus tachycardia. And so my heart races, um, it goes too high. Right. And so this Corlinor lowers my heart rate without lowering my blood pressure, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And then I take gabapentin for um, my small fiber neuropathy. And I take, uh, I use restasis for my eyes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm on Fosomax now, which is, I just took my first dose this morning, which is for osteopenia. And that is um, like the first stage of osteoporosis and the prednisone um, is reducing my bone density. And so the rheumatologist, they just put me on this Fosomax and I reluctantly went on. That is a lot. And you were the person that never went to the doctor. No. Right. Nope. Never went to the doctor, never took any drugs. And here I am, you know, carrying around my pill bottles. Plus I, I take a ton of uh, vitamins and supplements. Right. Yep. Yep. Have you tried attacking this from the dietary side at all? Yes. Yes. And I'm actually, um, I've always had a real, what I think is a pretty good diet. Um, you know, I've been eating organic for almost 40 years. I, um, you know, don't, anyway, I eat very healthy. What I haven't done before is um, focused on um, foods that cause inflammation. And so I've, over the last year and a half, really been trying to cut out foods that figure out what causes inflammation for me. And, um, you know, cut those out of my diet as much as I can. And dairy, gluten, sugar, gluten is not an inflammatory. Uh, I don't get a inflammatory response from that. I tried, I cut that out for a month and didn't yeah. feel any different. Right. So, you know, sugar, definitely. Um, How about dairy products, cheese? I don't eat enough of that. I think for that to be an issue for me. Okay. And how, how about, so like, can you go have uh, well, I'm talking about sugar, but also like, you know, white bread, that type of thing. I haven't, I haven't eaten food like that since probably I was in college and that was, you know, decades ago. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, so I'm sort of skeptical of, and I, I encourage everyone to eat healthy and right. I think that's really important but I'm skeptical as far as whether diet um, really caught, you know, it, it, it won't stop sarco sarcoidosis from attacking your body, I guess is what I'm saying. I think it may mm -hmm. help hold it at bay and I think it may help you feel better, but I don't think it stops, stops the process. Mm -hmm. at least so, that's my opinion. so you've shared with us that you, you take these, 
fantastic bucket list trips. Um, and you've been an outdoors person and, and you've got a place where you can ski in Taos, New Mexico. Um, but did you tell me uh, in your email that you were skiing with an oxygen pack on? Oh, yeah. I failed to mention that, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. What, what's that about? <laughs> so um, I, um, every time, you know, anyone who has pulmonary SARC get, does the six-minute walk test at their doctor's office. And you do these six-minute walk tests in your doctor's offices and mine were always coming back marginal, like my, um, my oxygen level would be 91, 92, 93, which, you know, is acceptable. And I kept insisting that I needed to have it done at the altitude where I live and do most of my activities, which is, you know, significantly higher than sea level. Right. And so, um, I had Knox, I had a six minute walk test done here in Taos in March and my oxygen levels were down in the 80s the entire time. The, they also did an overnight test, and um, my oxygen was also down in the 80s while I was sleeping. And I had no idea. I didn't realize it was that bad. They um, prescribed oxygen for me for exercise, any exertion, and for sleep. So, but at the end of ski season, <laughs> I didn't have one of those little oxygenator things, which I now have. So, I was carrying this like nine pound oxygen tank in a backpack <laughs> and skiing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and, uh, but I, I think the but, message John is that yeah. this disease can stop you in your tracks and make you not do the things you love. And I am trying to find workarounds every step of the way. And I think you're the same way of doing the things you love as much as you can. And, you know, not, obviously we have to alter our lifestyles and we can't do all the things we want to do, but, you know, if there's a way to make it work, make it work, do it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And people hear me talk about my, my bike riding on the podcast. And um, I just completed a, a hundred mile bike ride, which wow. is a big bucket list thing for me. I had done it, you know, when I was younger, pre-sarcoidosis, and I never thought I'd get back to that. But like you, it, it was just a matter of, I'm not going to let this disease prevent me from doing this stuff. Um, but it's a lot harder than you'd ever, ever would have thought. That's for sure. How, how frustrated do you get when sarcoidosis is, is messing with your life? I, um, get pretty upset. I think like right now I'm at a stage where I can't walk more than two or three miles a day. And I'm very slow. My pace is really slow and I'm under doctor's orders to continue that because of deconditioning and the, the, the feeling that if we and I'm sure this applies to everybody is when you just stop doing things because you don't feel good, it's really hard to get going again. And so I, I, I hate that it's hard to walk two or three miles <laughs> and, and I hate that I have, but I have to make myself do it. And I do do that every day. And, you know, I may go really slow, but I'm going and, um, like right now, my biggest frustration is with prednisone. Prednisone is really, um, has caused me so many problems now. And, um, you know, I have lipomas all over my body from the prednisone. I've gained over 20 pounds. I have tears in my tendons, um, um, in my gluteus minimus, and also um, where my hamstring attaches. And they think that's from uh, long-term prednisone use. I have uh, this osteopenia and, you know, back pain um, from the prednisone. And, um, but I also have what's called adrenal insufficiency. And that means my adrenal glands are not working properly anymore. That's from the prednisone. And that's from the prednisone. And I just think if I can get off this prednisone and get my dosage down, that I, I just, I don't know. That's my hope right now. 
Right, right. Because I feel like the effects of the prednisone are causing me more issues, life, life um, style issues. <clears throat> did you yeah. happen to listen to the town hall meeting we I did. did on prednisone? I did. And I, I just loved the part where the guy said um, um, that if they were doing a commercial on prednisone now, that that would be a mini series when they listed all of the side effects. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, when the guy starts going into all the prednisone may cause this and you may experience this. And, blah, blah, blah. and he also he called it poison and he said it would never get approved today. Right. That. Yeah. And I just feel like I'm the poster child for that. I can't, I have the hardest time getting down below. I'm, I'm down to nine right now and I'm two weeks in. And every time I get to this level, something starts to happen and they end up bumping me back up. So none of the other drugs is really controlling it. Well, I mean, so, like you can't get like for me, it was prednisone until Remicade started working. And then, then it took me off the prednisone, but well, you've been able to get to that point. Well, I, I think the Remicade is what's caused my um, cardiac SARC to be so much better. Mm-hmm. And my, um, my pulmonary SARC, my lungs look much better. So I, the Remicade is definitely working, but the problem is I can't get off the prednisone because of all the side effects when I try to come off the prednisone. So I medically for the SARC, I should be able to be reducing, excuse me, excuse me, to be able to reduce the prednisone, but physically my body, um, my adrenal glands are not allowing that to happen. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while for your adrenal glands to come back, which, which they told me mine would, and they seem to have. Um, cause I was up on 80 milligrams for a long time. And then it took a whole year to dose me down. Uh, and then they would do it like one milligram every week or every two weeks. So I'd get to nine and then eight and then seven, you know, uh, but eventually I got off of it and you haven't been able to get past the year of nine now. I haven't been below nine since November of 2018. Uh-huh. And I can't, I just can't seem to get there. Every time I think I'm there, something happens and I go into some crisis. Right. So, so you're kind of holding your breath right now today. I am. So (laughs) I would love to be able to drop to eight, but I'm terrified to do it. (laughs) Right. Well, and seven is the magic number because your body makes about seven by itself. That's what the doctors told me. So if you, once you get, below seven, then you're really starting to make progress. So you're so close. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I, I want to ask you this because your story and mine are so similar. And I'm just curious if you're feeling some of the same things that I am, but have you looked at your own mortality differently? Absolutely. Um, I, I just, I'm focusing on living my life and doing as much as I possibly can, because I just don't know about, you know, what, what, what Sark hammer is going to come hit me next. (laughs) Right. And, you know, so when I feel good, I do as much as I possibly can, but I think it's also, and I think you're similar in this case is learning to listen to your body and to not do something just because you used to be able to, or you think you should be able to. And I think for me, that's the hardest thing is learning to say no to doing things and confessing that I don't feel good and I don't want to do things. But you still get up and you, and you, and you do that walk every day or most days and and the doctors have told me that, that staying active and, you know, phys- quote unquote, physically fit um, are critical to staying ahead of this thing. Yep. So That's, I, I'm hearing the same thing. It's like, I don't have a prescription for the activity, but I have clear doctor's orders for it. To keep doing it. Yeah. So, so now you're working with the foundation 
uh, for sarcoidosis research alongside uh, me and many other people with the, on the patient advisory council committee, whatever it is, um, <laughs> PAC. Uh, how are you enjoying that? I really do enjoy it. And I, I, I'm hopeful that our voice will be able to be reflective of other patients and that we can help the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research do even better work than they've been doing. And, you know, I just am so grateful for all the things that the foundation offers to patients and, you know, the um, advocate system where people can get help and individualized help, I think is phenomenal. And I, I just, I just think it's so important the work that they're doing. And, and, and I think that getting the pharmaceutical companies that are working on drug research to have more patient voice in the work that they're doing and access to patients is so critical because they can't do what they're doing in a vacuum. And because this disease is so strange and so individual for each of us, it's so important that they have a wide variety of people that they're able to get access to. And if it weren't for the foundation, how would they do that? Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, do you have another great trip planned? No. No? <laughs> well, you better hurry up and plan one. <laughs> Seems like it keeps you going. It does, but this COVID thing has me um, I'm fully vaccinated, been fully vaccinated, but um, I caught a virus in April, a stomach virus, and... Um, my husband caught the same thing. He was sick for 24 hours. I was sick for three weeks. Oh. I, got, I got over the stomach virus, but I, um, the adrenal insufficiency took me down for three weeks. And I had to go back on um, different, a different type of steroid to bring my adrenal glands back into functioning. And that's put me back into um, scaredy cat mode <laughs> because, right. I, but because what I realized is with the um, immunosuppressants that we're on or that I'm on and so many of us are on that there are other opportunistic viruses lurking out there just waiting. <laughs> true. And, true. And so I'm not in a rush to head back out into the greater world and I worry about the vaccination rates around the world. And, you know, look at what's happening in India and Nepal. And um, I just, I think that for right now, staying in the U.S. and um, where we have high vaccination rates and excellent healthcare accessibility, that's the other thing that scares me is traveling to the developing world and uh, access to healthcare. Yes, for sure. I, I never used to worry about that, but now I worry about it. Right. Well, there's a lot of great things to see in the United States. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I've never seen I've never seen the Grand Canyon, and so um, we're taking a trip to the Grand Canyon in September in Zion National Park in Bryce, and we're going to ride bikes and hike. And like you, I am just on pins and needles because I don't want anything to go wrong between now and then. <laughs> so I get uh, it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well. Uh, Janet Makoviak, thank you for your uh, service on the Patient Advisory Council, and thank you for sharing your story with us here today. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for all you're doing and helping share, spread the word about sarcoidosis and helping others hopefully get the treatment they need sooner than I did and uh, the diagnosis. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm so grateful that Janet reached out. It is, it is just gratifying to me that people are listening to this podcast. And when someone tells me that this podcast helped them to get to the next thing in their sarcoidosis journey, it really pleases me. And when a fellow Sark patient, Sark fighter, Sark warrior, call us what you will, uh, has heard other people's stories and says, you know, I'm willing, I'm willing to share my story. Uh, that really, really makes a difference. And so when people uh, email me and they say, John, I'd, I'd like to come on, 
Um, I'm, I'm just tickled to death to make that happen. So, and please don't forget to sign up for the upcoming FSR Summit. This is in 2021 on June 12th and 13th, and there is a link in the show notes. Please send me an email. That's also in the show notes. If you have some thoughts on the Sark Fighter podcast, follow The Sark Fighter with the word the in front of Sark Fighter on Instagram. And you can also just Google, do the search function on Facebook, search for Sark Fighter, and please follow along on Facebook as well. I post a lot of updates and pictures, and you can kind of keep up to date with my life and, and what's going on with, uh, with the podcast and with my fellow Sark Fighters. I do appreciate everybody's interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. So if you like this show, would you just tell one person, just tell one person, and let's continue to grow the number of people who are listening and benefiting from uh, all the hard work and the stories that people are telling here on the podcast. Also, give it a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast downloads. Thanks again to Janet for joining me here today. And until next time, keep fighting. Just feeding that stumble